Okay, so somebody summarized last week what we talked about. Acts 21 verses 1 through 17 is what we did last week, right? What was going on? Right, right. He was going back to Jerusalem. Already been told by the Holy Spirit and by Agabus the prophet that pain and suffering and trial and tribulation is waiting on you. The whole church, every city he went to, Tyre, uh, Caesarea, uh, the elders at Ephesus, they all told him, do not go, please don't go to Jerusalem, you don't need to go suffer. The Holy Spirit had bound him, he said he was bound in the Spirit to go, and so he has finally made it to Jerusalem. Today, I I could have done the whole rest of chapter 21... (laughs) But I really want, I want to, this section we're going to do from verses 18 through 26 is, it's making one point that I want you to see very clearly and it's a point that we probably need to talk a lot about. So I'm just going to do that today and then we'll do the rest of the chapter starting in verse 27 is when he actually gets arrested and from that point on it's just trial in front of Festus and Felix and you know on and on all the way to Rome. And so this this point right here is something strange is going to happen right here. Something it, it's really I mean if you know Paul we we've, we've seen him ever since Acts chapter 9 when he was converted from that moment on I mean if you had to describe Paul you would you'd be able to do so just based on what we've learned cuz he was an in your face kind of guy. He was um you know he was uh, not not afraid to uh, stand up and preach. Not afraid to uh, confront people. He confronted Peter in uh, and tells us in Galatians about him being, uh, you know, the Jew and Gentile controversy and all that. Uh, so Paul's come to Jerusalem now, and against everybody's advice, he's he's here in the city. And the first thing he's going to do, I'm just going to read through a couple of these verses, and then I'm going to get to the point of what we're going to see today, and then we can talk about it. In verse 18, the first thing he does, he's going to meet with the elders in the city. It says, uh, in verse 18 says, And the day following, the day after he arrived in Jerusalem, and he stayed with this disciple named Nason, uh, the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, who is us? Luke and the rest of the people that are with him. Remember, Luke's writing the book. Uh, the day following, he went in with us to James, who is James? Is it the Apostle James? That's right. It's the brother of Jesus. And what is his role in Jerusalem by this time? Saw it in Acts 15. He is the... He's the leader of the church in in Jerusalem. That's exactly correct. So they went into James... And all the elders were present. The elders of, these are the elders of the church at Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church. Um, These are the same guys that we saw in Acts chapter 15 that met to discuss uh, how the Gentiles are going to be included, whether they need to be circumcised or all that kind of stuff. Same guys. And so uh, it says in verse 19, when they had, when he had saluted them, remember what saluted means, means greeted them, embraced them. He declared particularly what things God hath wrought among the Gentiles by his, by his ministry. So first thing he does is go into the elders, uh, goes to meet, it's probably a large venue, as you know, so it might have been Solomon's portico. We, we don't really know where it was, but he goes to meet with all these elders. First thing he does is gives report. What do you think he's reporting? 
He's reporting the Gentile ministry, but what do you think he's saying about it? He's telling them what happened, Gentiles coming into the kingdom. Uh, He's telling them about churches being established. He's telling them about all these people coming to faith in Christ. He's probably telling them about the... the, um, you know, uh, opposition that he's had, telling them all that kind of stuff. It's been about, I'm going to say about four years or so, give or take, since he has last been in Jerusalem. So he's got plans to go to Rome. He's already said he's got plans to go to Rome and Spain and all those kind of things. And so this is probably, he's thinking this is the last opportunity I'm going to have for a while to give them a report of, of everything that's been going on. And it's not like he's beholden to them like they're his boss or anything. But we're going to see here, especially in this section, that uh, there's unity in the church. There's unity between Paul and the Gentiles. So he's telling them about conversions, the Gentiles, what God's doing. Um, the, the important thing that I, I saw in verse 19 was where he says, when he saluted him, he declared particularly what things God hath wrought. You see that? It wasn't, Paul, you're just such an awesome guy. Paul, you're doing so good. Look at all the good things Paul doing. He was telling them what God had done. And that's something we've seen over and over again in Acts, right? You and I, we can, I mean, I can argue with you till the cows come home. I can debate with you. I can instruct you until God gets a hold of your heart. You will not trust in Christ. Men don't trust in Christ unless God draws and changes their heart. And so what he's saying, Luke is very careful to tell us that all this that Paul's been doing is what God has been doing uh, among the Gentiles. And so Paul goes in. And he reports all this stuff. And the gent- and the, the elders, uh, the Jewish elders, look what they say. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They said to him, thou seest, brother. Uh, well, let's stop right there for a second. <clears throat> they glorified the Lord in the first part of 28. Notice that the elders, they recognize Paul as a brother. They recognize him as a, a, a minister of the gospel. They recognize that God was working through Paul because they glorified God because of what Paul was doing in you know, ministry of all these different cities, Gentile lands. They they remember in Acts 15, they had already welcomed the Gentiles into the church, said they didn't have to be circumcised, didn't have to keep the laws of Moses. You didn't have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian, but you couldn't be a pagan either. Remember what it said? You had to abstain from eating blood and sacrifice to idols and those kind of things. So you could didn't have to be a Jew, but you had to stop being a pagan. So they had already addressed that. They had already brought the Gentiles into the church and so they're glorifying God that Paul had done all these things the thing that's interesting is that right here we're going to see a big but I mean not like a big but but there's a but that's coming they're going to say they glorified God but there's a problem Okay, And how Paul handles this problem is so interesting to me. It's really so interesting. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, y'all might have some thoughts on it as well. It says, uh, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. These are believing Jews. These are Christian, Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem. And they are zealous uh, of the law. They are zealous for the law. They are they're Jews that have been converted to Christ, but of course they're still uh, going after their traditions. They're still doing the you know circumcision and the traditional things that they've grown up doing all their life. And really nothing wrong with that. That's 
what Jewish uh, Jewish people did. But first of all, you see that while Paul was gone, the ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem was still continuing. People were still being converted. People were still, you know. And so the elders say, Paul, we're glorifying God because of your ministry. But look around. You see all these thousands of Jews that believe they're zealous for the law. There's a rumor that has been going around. Verse 21 tells us, And they are informed of thee. They, they've, they've heard about you. They've heard about you that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. So, we, we're glad that you're here. God is glorified in your ministry. You are doing wonderful things. But we have a problem. The problem is there's some rumors going around about you that you're teaching people. You're teaching when you go to Ephesus or when you go to these Gentile lands, you're teaching the Jews there that they don't have to circumcise their children. They don't have to follow Moses. They don't have to walk in the traditions of our fathers and all those things. Uh, you're teaching these things. Now, I know it's shocking, but even in the first century church, there was rumors did you think that was just a, a modern invention? All the way back in Acts, we see there's rumors going around. Now, the rumor is, it's kind of hard to grab a hold of because re, in the reality, it's not really true. Paul did not teach the Jews to forsake Moses. Uh, he did not teach them to stop circumcising their children, and he didn't teach them to not walk after the traditions of their of their of their elders. He did he did require he never required Jewish people to give up being Jewish, right? Y'all with me? He never required that. He didn't, but he he didn't require Gentiles to become Jews, right? And he didn't he didn't um, he didn't allow the Jewish people to view their traditions and their ceremonies and their things as being saving, as being what makes them right before God. So, uh, really, the, the elders didn't either. Remember, they said in Acts chapter 15, we're not going to make the Gentiles get circumcised and all that kind of stuff. Now, Paul did say some things that might be taken this way. He said, like in Romans 6, he said, we're not under the law anymore. And so they might think, well, what does that mean? That means we don't, you know, they might have thought that that meant to forsake Moses. He did say that the law can't bring salvation, which is true. He did say we have freedom in Christ. We are free from the law. Um, so he, he didn't he didn't really teach them to forsake Moses, but he did teach them what the law was supposed to be. Y'all see that? But now the rumor has gotten back to Jerusalem that Paul is teaching people just to throw Moses out the window. Moses is nobody. We, now, for us, that's like, you know, what's the big deal? But you got to realize for the Jewish mind in the first century, Moses was it. I mean, Moses was the deal. The law of God is how you are righteous before God. It is, uh, it is what they thought <clears throat> made them made them clean before God. Now, when they came to believe in Christ, they realized it was Jesus that made them clean before God. But if you have been raised to understand that eating, let's just go with something like eating pork, right? If you had been raised your whole life, not it's unclean, don't you ever put it in your mouth, it's defiling, it's whatever, there would be a hesitancy 
for you to just go full bore into that. It would be against the culture that you were in. And if you were to just dive into a big pig buffet, you know, a lot of people around you would be offended. You know, Paul makes that case in, um, in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 14 and in Corinthians. He says, look, if I'm, if I'm in front of the Jewish guys and if it offends them to eat certain meats, I'm not going to eat the meat. As simple as that. You know, but I know that it's clean, and I know there's nothing in clean of it itself, but, but I'm not going to offend their conscience by doing those things. And so Paul was, uh, he was not teaching them to forsake Moses, but he was teaching them what the fulfillment of Moses was, right? Okay, I, I might have belabored that point just a little long. Uh, the other thing was to stop circumcising their children. Has, has Paul ever taught that? No, never. In fact, if you remember, in um, Acts 16, uh, he, uh, I think it was 16. I thought I wrote it down. I don't, maybe it wasn't 16. He, uh, no, it wasn't 16. Paul had Timothy circumcised, remember? So that he could be... You know, he would be able to go into the synagogues with him. So Paul wasn't wasn't against circumcision, but he was against circumcision as to make you part of God's people, right? So they were saying there's a rumor going around that you're making the telling the Jews they don't have to circumcise their kids anymore. He never did such a thing. He didn't require the Gentiles to circumcise, but he did say that circumcision is not important. Uh, he says uh, uh, well, not important. He said in Galatians, he said circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing but a new creation is what's what's important. And so Paul became a Jew to win Jews. He said that in First Corinthians six uh, nine. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, and he had Timothy circumcised. So here's the thing. The elders are saying, all right, Paul, we're glad that you're here. Your ministry's of God. We're glorifying God. There's a problem. There's rumors going around. People are saying that you're telling Jews not to circumcise anymore, forsaking Moses. You're forsaking our traditions. Uh, Verse 22 there in Acts says, What is it therefore the multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. He says, what's going to happen? What should we do when they hear that you're here? When they, when they find out that you're here in Jerusalem, um, all heck's going to break loose. So we need to come up with a plan. And really, when they did find out that he was there, we're going to see that in, in the next section, all heck did break loose. This is what they tell him to do, and this is what I find so interesting. It says, do this, do therefore this that we say to thee. It's a request, not a command. We have four men which have a vow on them. They had taken a vow, probably a Nazarite vow. Don't know for sure. Uh, they have shaved, they shaved their heads though. We'll see that in a minute. He says, take them and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them, which means to pay the, pay the charge for them to uh, purify themselves at the temple. That they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing. But that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest keepest the law. And then verse 25, it says, As touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written already concerning that, that they should stay away from idols, blood, and strangle, and from fornication. What were they asking Paul to do? They were asking him to 
Go with these four guys that have taken a vow, a Nazarite vow. More than likely, the Nazarite vow they took was, uh, it was a vow that they would... Um, you know they would uh, they were they were consecrating themselves for God. You know fasting and staying away from Nazarite. You didn't cut your beard or your hair. You didn't cut your hair. You didn't drink any alcoholic stuff. You didn't. There were things that you didn't do for a certain period of time, as if you were fasting, wanting you know wanting God to intervene in some way or not. And when that time was over, you shave your head. Remember Paul did it earlier in Acts. We saw it. You'd shave your head and then you go present that hair at the temple, and they would give you a like a ceremonial cleansing, you know, purify you, dip you in the water, do the thing, whatever the ceremony was, and then, you know, you would be clean, and you would offer up a, a payment to the, the, the temple priest for all that. And so what they were telling Paul to do was, look, there's a rumor going around that you're teaching people against Moses, teaching people against circumcision. So what we want you to do is, we want you to take these four guys, these four guys have completed their vow, and we want you to take these four guys and go to the temple with them, and we want you to purify yourself with them as they're purifying themselves, you know, going through this ceremony, and we want you to do that and pay for their expenses so that the people will know that you have not forsaken Moses, that you have not forsaken the law, that you have not and done these things and that all these things aren't true. Now, if you know Paul and you know Paul's character and you know Paul's preaching, what do you think Paul's going to say? <laughs> you would think so. Are you crazy? I don't need to purify myself in no pool. Jesus purified me. The cross purified me. I, I don't have to keep up with this ceremony. I don't have to do these things. Are you out of your mind? And to be honest with you, he would have been right. That's not what he did, but he would have been right to do so. But just as he didn't want to offend the Jews by not eating pork, he kind of went along to go. He did. He went along for not just to, he, to not offend them for sure, but he saw that unity in the church was more important than his freedom. He was free not to go. He was free not to ever walk back into the temple complex again. He was free not to ever walk, to ever go through some purification ritual or some ceremony that's some traditional ceremony that they had all. He was free in Christ not to ever have to worry about that again. That was a tradition of the people. I mean, it was not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. We're not talking about sacrificing animals here or anything. We're talking about purification rituals and traditions and the things that they did. And so. He would have been he, he would have been right to say, I'm not shaving my head. I'm not shaving my head and I'm not going. That would I mean to me, if you've listened to Paul's arguments up until now and his preaching up until now, you might almost expect Paul to say, if I were to do that, that would disparage Christ. You know, that would disparage him to make people think that maybe I'm unclean. Because I need to be dipped in this whatever. And there's lots of debate about why he needed to purify himself. If you were a Jew and you went and traveled in Gentile lands, then when you came back, you had to purify yourself and go through this little ceremony. If you touched a dead body or something, you had to go and purify yourself. If you did this or did that or had all these different things, there was lots of different reasons that you would go and be quote-unquote purified. And so there's lots of debate about why. We don't really know for sure why. But they tell him, you know, you go and you purify yourself with them. 
and then the people will see that you you're not telling people to forsake Moses and you're not telling people that to to give up their traditions and their customs um, for me I would have probably I mean just thinking about what what it was they were asking of him just in principle I mean I I would have I'd have a hard time I would have a hard time uh, doing such a thing did you raise your hand yeah. go ahead See, is that I know I know that it's kind of a, a stretch trying to compare it, but you see a lot of Christians join the Masonic, the Masonic clubs or, or places of that nature and, and are is that is that against what we're trying to do as Christians? I mean it depends on who you ask. I don't know I don't know all about the I know it's all secret. All the stuff that they do. What I'm saying is these rituals that Paul was saying are no longer necessary to do certain things. The rituals and things that they would ask you to do of that that nature is that what... Well, what they were asking was... um, It was a... It was a ceremony of purification where you would... Well, I've heard of some of the things that they do and some of them just... It doesn't seem bad in in and of itself. Well, I I don't know. I don't know. So I, I was just kind of curious because I know I know like Brother Benny out in Harmony, you know, he's been in the Masons for years, you know. So I was just kind of curious as how that two interact. No, I I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I'm not. I don't know much about. I mean, other than what I read. But Paul does what he he does what they ask him to do. He does. He, he does go with these four guys. He does go... Verse... Uh, where are we at? Verse uh, 20, 24? 26? 25. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, the very next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify accomplishment of these things, uh, accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And that's probably where we're going to end because what I want to talk about, what I want you to see is he valued unity among, when I say the church, I'm talking about the Jewish church and the Gentile church. There have been several times in Acts where the unity of Jews and Gentiles was threatened, where they could have broke and been a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And Paul valued, Paul valued the unity of, of the church and the not causing his brethren to stumble rather than his personal freedom. He was free to tell them to go take a flying leap. Probably wouldn't have said it that way, but he was free from being, you know, I don't have to do the ceremonies to be purified. I'm pure. I mean, Jesus told Peter and the disciples, you're clean by the word he spoke, you know, so uh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that to prove anything. I don't owe anybody any explanation. The the elders at the Jerusalem church, the first thing they said was they gave glorify, glory to God for Paul's ministry. They weren't saying that this is contingent upon anything. They knew Paul was in the right by preaching to the Gentiles. They knew Paul was preaching truth because he was preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. They knew all these things were correct. And then they said, now we've already addressed the Gentile issue with the letter that we saw in Acts chapter 15. Now it's Paul's turn to help with the Jewish believers to unify them. 
Now, that's really not what happens. They arrest him as soon as he gets to the temple. We're going to see that next time. But I want you to think about this. He gave up his freedom. It was his freedom in Christ to not have to worry about all that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to follow that. But he gave that freedom up in order to not cause his brother to stumble. He gave that freedom up uh, in order to bring unity to the church and not become a cause for division among the church. He gave up his freedom. There's a lot of things that we are uh, technically free to do, free from. But if they cause your brother to stumble, if they cause division, they are, Paul tells us clearly, Romans 14, that they are sinful. I mean, you can go, I don't know if any of y'all have any Jewish friends, but if you did have a Jewish friend and you went over to their house, and or they come over to your house, if you threw out a big, you know, pig with an apple in his mouth, that would that would offend them if they if they're of that of that kind you know there are things that we are trying to think of something we we are called to we are called to love one another in such a way that we um, we sacrifice we don't if it's a freedom a Christian liberty let's say that then we are free. In our Christian liberty, but we don't use that freedom to cause a stumbling block for others, right? Sacrifice your liberty for others. You say, give me an example of sacrificing your liberty for others. People want to fight for their liberty, don't they? Mm-hmm. Well, not that kind of liberty. <laughs> that we have to draw though is we don't sacrifice the gospel for unity see what I mean um, if if Dean over here says that you know I'm just taking this is way exaggerated but if he says over here well now Jesus ain't the only way you got this other way too it's good I, I don't I won't I don't sacrifice the truth in order just to be unified with Dean. But what we're talking about here is personal liberty. When we, we're talking about liberty, I'm not necessarily talking about the freedom that we have in America, but the freedom to, you know, to do something that's, it's called adiaphora in Scripture. It's, it's something that's neither commanded nor forbidden. 
You know, there's no there's no definite command do this and there's no definite command do not do this. It's just a matter of matter of your conscience. And so uh, the things that, you know, don't offend my conscience may offend someone else's conscience, you know? Like uh, I mean, there's lots of examples we give them. I don't want to offend nobody cuz like it's it's all kind of things, but you know, the the other day I'm riding in the truck and uh, you know, listening to the radio, and this this song comes on from when I was a kid. You know, and it's not a not a bad cuss word filled song, but it's not a show, not a Christian song. But there I am tapping my foot, you know, along to it, and I'm thinking, you know, if Brother Eddie's in the seat next to me, I'm gonna be like, ooh, we can't listen to that. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you got all kind of you got all kind of things that are that are adiaphora. Let me let me read something to you and then we'll talk about it, okay? Let's look at Romans 14. Huh? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. How are you supposed to spread the gospel to someone who is a non atheist or something? But, I mean, they're very aware of what is it in to me and mine is to theirs. Yeah. But how would you, I mean, you still have to spread it and you still have to. Yeah. Well, the, the gospel is an offense all by itself. So you don't have to worry about being offensive. If you're preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel, witnessing, you will be offensive. What we're talking about here is within the body of Christ. Uh, Paul was not, they were not telling Paul, hey Paul, you need to go to the temple because all these Jews in Jerusalem think you're a heretic. You know, he didn't care what they thought. He was talking about the ones that believe. He was talking about the believers. So what we're talking about is in, in our fellowship of believers, how do we how do we live in such a way that it doesn't cause other people to stumble by acts of our conscience, things like that. So, to your point, Vanessa, you, you I mean, good luck. You're never going to not offend nobody preaching the gospel. The gospel itself is an offense. And so... Yeah, well, if they don't let you, then that is the only way they'll see it. And to be honest... Um, you know, you you do it without being trying to be offensive. You know, you don't just run up and you know like be obnoxious or anything. Just be overly offensive. But when you tell someone that hell is real and heaven is real and that repentance that that there are, people are all sinners and that none of us are right before God, that message in itself is offensive. And it's going to be one of two things that are either going to happen. They're going to get really, really mad or they're going to repent and turn to Christ. One of those two things. I mean, usually those are the two responses. And so uh, when we're talking about what Paul was doing here in, in Acts 21, uh, what we're talking about is him trying to keep unity in the body of Christ. Uh, it was unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Did you see in? Uh, well, I've done, I've done turn. I've done turn my page. But in in verse twenty.
Yeah, and that's why that's why it offends. But when we're talking about when we're talking about within the body of Christ, there are. I mean, I got. I'm trying not to get get into specifics, but you got. I mean, you got drinking. You got tattoos. You got piercing. You got this kind of dress. You got you got all kind of things that. This group over here would say, "Oh, that's horribly sinful." You got this group over here that said, eh, well, "I mean, to keep unity in the body of Christ, the point is, if it is if it is offensive to someone in the body of Christ, and it's my it's a Christian liberty, I don't fight for that liberty. I fight for the unity in the body of Christ. Does that make sense?" Blue jean skirts. She did not want to be offensive, so she wanted to do, even though she didn't see a problem with dressing any other way, but she was trying not to be offensive in what they believe and more like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly. As long as, listen, this is important. The way that you just said that was perfect. If I have no problem, if if a, a, a woman says, I believe that you have to wear a dress all the way down to your ankles. And that's just my belief, just because I don't want to offend. I'm all I'm all good with that. Knock yourself out. But when you start saying, like with the church that you mentioned, when you start saying you have to do this in order to be right with God, that's where we have to draw a line and say, I can't I can't cross that line. Right. So what we're talking about here, and that's a perfect example. This lady gave up her freedom. Now, of course, we're, we're not idiots here, so we know if you're wearing something that shows your rear end, you know, we, okay, you know, we know we're not talking about that. But this lady gave up. This lady gave up her freedom so that she would not be offense to to other people. As long as we recognize that doing that or wearing my hair a certain way or dressing a certain way is not what makes me righteous. Not what makes me clean before God. Um, so you know, telling her that's fine to try to do what they, what they wish, but if it affects how you feel about Christ now, that would be the question I have because a lot of those a lot of those churches use the the way that you dress the way that you do they they use that as a barometer of your relationship with God yeah. if you're and if that's going on that's that's we don't we don't cross that line if it's just a matter of conscience knock yourself out they believe in the Trinity so therefore we well then they they're not they're not in fellowship with us anyway they're not if you don't believe in the Trinity you're not a Christian Right. I, I hope to. I'm not quite sure, but I I hope to do a a, a sermon on the Trinity next Sunday, next Sunday morning, early service. I mean, most of y'all won't be here Sunday. Our church. Let's say we have a an Amish group or a group that believes they don't want to make up, or a group that believes they worship, or a group that believes they have to wear scarves, you know, and they come here, and we have this group, this group, this group, but we're all here for the same purpose. Right. I mean, we're here for the gospel. Yeah. If you're truly here for the gospel, what difference 
Right. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with Yeah. Well, he was demonstrating the principle that he gave in first, right first Corinthians nine twenty. I wrote it down. Nine twenty. Just write first Corinthians nine twenty down. You can look it up later. He said to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. He says, I become all things to all men so that I might win some. And so he's not talking about, he's not talking about, oh, you got to wear this kind of dress or you got to wear this kind of stuff or whatever. He's talking about not giving offense to the gospel. He's saying, he's talking about, I will give up my freedom, whatever that may be, uh, to do this or to do that. If it, if it pushes forward the kingdom of God, pushes forward the gospel, if it would cause someone to believe in Christ and be saved and come into the kingdom of God, you know what, I'll abstain from eating pork if that's what that means you know I'll give it up forever I'll stop eating Paul said himself I'll stop eating meat altogether if that means that this person who's offended by eating meat is going to come and, and uh, be part of the gospel he's not making that part of the gospel that's where the distinction is you know if the person with the blue jean skirt wants to say that's what I want to do and I think it's proper knock yourself out it's all good don't care. You start saying that everybody has to wear the blue jean skirt if you want to be right with God. Now I have a problem. You've gone over the gospel and you've subverted what Jesus has done. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, I got uh, this guy that I, I, actually I worked for at, at, at the hospital. And he, he's a church Christ guy. And so he and I disagree about a lot of stuff, you know. And we open about our disagreements, you know. We'll tease each other. I'll say, <laughs> you know... You know, I'll say uh, something, you know, he'll say something and I'll say, well, you know, you're the only one going to heaven, so it don't matter, you know, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll goof on each other about all that kind of stuff. But when it comes, when we have serious discussions sometimes, um, this guy is not like anybody I've ever met. He says, it's my conscience, my preference not to have instruments in music and worship. He says, it's my preference. He says, if you want to have them, Knock yourself out. I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. I don't care. It's great. He said, but it, it, it offends my conscience, so I, I can't do it. He said, but if you, I don't think it's not, it's not sinful. It's not wrong. You just knock yourself out and go right ahead. He lets me bring the guitar up to the hospital and play in the, you know, he don't care. And so that's kind of the thing where, you know, he, that is that is giving up your your freedom in order to unite the body of Christ. Now we got lots of other gospel issues that we deal with, so I'm just using this kind of as an example. But that's the thing. Now, if he says now it's wrong, and you're going to hell if you play the guitar in church, now me and him are going to have a problem because what you've done is you've just added to the gospel. But if, you know, I'm not going to force my guitar on him if it's against his conscience, and he's not going to force his, whatever they do, if it's, you know, if it's against my conscience. Does that make sense? Now, I want you to see, this is very important, before we go, 
there is a fine line right here that you have to that you have to walk. We don't give any ground whatsoever when it comes to gospel issues, when it comes to the death, burial, resurrection, when it comes to how I'm righteous with God, when it comes to what makes me righteous before God, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to who God is. I, I don't. That, that's a hill that I'm going to fight and die on every single time. I don't care who I'm talking to. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the circumstances are. We don't give any ground. And if you look at Acts, Paul didn't give any ground whatsoever. He would be as offensive as he needed to be when it came to who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And he was a very in-your-face kind of guy. He was not a beat-around-the-bush, uh, you know, kind of just mince words, sugarcoat this thing. He was not that guy. He would be all up in your face when it came to the reality of the gospel and what Jesus came to do. But here in this situation, you see another side of Paul, and that's kind of what I wanted y'all to see. When the Jerusalem elders told him, we want you to go, now that you're back in Jerusalem, we want you to go into the temple and we want you to take part in this purification ceremony so that all these Jewish Christians know that it's not true that you're teaching against Moses and all those things. Paul, much to my surprise, said, okay, I'll do it. And he did it. He laid aside, he laid aside his freedom not to go and have to go through the shaving of the head and the pure. Now, he wasn't sacrificing animals. That's the line where we draw. He wasn't going into the temple offering no bull or no goat or nothing like that. He knew that that was going a step too far. He was just going in the tradition of the Jewish people, in the custom of the Jewish people to do this uh, purification rite, this purification ceremony, just to please the conscience of the people that had believed in Christ in Jerusalem. That was the only reason he was doing it. Of course, we're going to see that it didn't work. They, they arrest him as soon as, as soon as he gets done. But I, I just want you to see the mindset of this person. He, he truly believed, I will become all things to all men so that I can win. Some he was he was concerned about the gospel as it uh, as it was being preached to the Gentiles way out in the pagan nations. He was concerned about the gospel as it was being preached to the Jews in Jerusalem. He would do whatever it took. He would give up whatever he had to give up. He would sacrifice whatever he had to sacrifice in his own life in order for someone to come to the truth of Jesus Christ. Do y'all see that? Does that makes sense. And so that, that's the point that I wanted to hit on. I, I probably could have done the rest of the chapter today and gotten through it quicker. But I wanted you to see that this, this Paul, he truly lived out what he preached. He preached, I became all things to all men so that I can win some. If, you know, if it defends a Jew that I don't eat meat, then I'll stop eating meat. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to win them to the gospel. He truly lived out what he preached about... about um, about Jesus and about who he was. Um, so you and I, there's two sides to this. We don't waver. We don't give in not an inch, not a single millimeter when it comes to the gospel, the righteousness of God, salvation, who God is. Like you said, they don't believe in the Trinity. I'm not giving a millimeter on that. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you're not a Christian, period. And I can prove that. Uh, 
But there are things that we do and that we, you know, that that are not gospel issues like Paul right here. You know, you want me to go get dunked in some water to say that, ooh, I'm purified now so it'll please these Jewish Christians who are after these traditions? You know, okay, whatever, I'll go do that. You know, just, just to keep unity. Just to keep unity between the Jewish church and the Gentile church. Just to keep unity. Uh, if you would have asked Paul, I believe, if you would have asked Paul, Paul, we really want to keep unity. Uh, can you go sacrifice this bull? And Paul would have told you to take a flying leap at a rolling donut. He would never have, he would have never have uh, impugned the sacrifice of Jesus. And we see that over and over again. He tells lots of people in their face all the time. He was a very in-your-face kind of guy. Uh, but he was also a man that understood that if it comes just to my personal freedom, my personal conscience, my whatever, I'll give that up so somebody else could come to be in Christ. I'll give that up so somebody else can come to the faith. I'll give that up to keep unity. That makes sense?